Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. I'm Chris Sharon. I work at Auburn Seminary in New York City, helping train and equip faith leaders for the challenges we face today. And I want to talk today about the intersection of the rally, the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, a week ago, and the unfolding protests and responses in light of what I've been thinking about in terms of the demographic transitions in the U.S. and how Christians respond to that especially. One of the interesting dynamics of this moment in our country's history is the shift from the country being a white Christian minority country to white Christians being the minority, and even broader than that, white people in general becoming the minority after being the dominant population for most of the country's history. And that demographic shift has been described really beautifully in a book that I have learned from, Robert Jones's book, The End of White Christian America. And he argues that there are a couple of key responses among white people. One is a nostalgia for a time they perceive to be simpler. And partly, I think the perception is that it's a simpler time because the complicated dynamics of race relationships are where they perceive to be simpler then. And in fact, they were simpler because white people were more obviously in power. And so there's a nostalgia for, like, say, the 1950s and the image of a nice white family sitting around a table with their turkey. And then the second response that goes alongside that is anxiety about where we are now, white anxiety about the changes in our country. And that plays itself out in terms of conflicting visions of who we're becoming and who people desire to become in the future as the United States develops. And so I've been reflecting about the tensions around that dynamic, the nostalgia, the anxiety, and what that asks of white people. So that gives me a lens for thinking about what happened in Charlottesville. Certainly the rise of Donald Trump as a political force in the U.S. was tied to his pandering to white supremacists and white nationalists, and it was quite evident in his campaign that he was saying things like America first that had Nazi echoes and that drew on white supremacist ideology. And his obvious support, they tweeted support for him and made statements in support of him, even held a rally in Washington, D.C. after he was elected, drawing together people who support that. So on the one hand, you have President Trump now articulating this one view, uh, speaking to this white population that, that's anxious about what their, what their perception is that they're losing and, and saying, I'm going to give you your power back, like explicitly saying that. And then on the other hand, you have a whole bunch of really coalitions of both people of color and progressive white people who are pushing against that and were pushing against it all the way through Trump's campaign and especially have been organizing around resistance to him since then. And one of the symbolic places where this has has centered is public monuments 
there was a big event in South Carolina, a big debate and, and set of protests around the Confederate flag as a part of the state flag in South Carolina, which ended in South Carolina changing the, the flag, but only because of a lot of progressive activism and pressure. Bree Newsom climbing up the flagpole and literally taking it down and being arrested. So real activism. And so in Charlottesville, the the movement of this vision of the country as pluralistic, diverse, and needing to represent a more positive, inclusive, non-dominating vision of our future is leading communities like Charlottesville to say we should take down statues that memorialize Confederate heroes because the Confederacy during the Civil War really was about defending the institution of slavery, which is the dehumanization and and literal destruction of the plundering of black bodies. And so taking down the statue of Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general in the center square in Charlottesville, set off uh, alarm for these Trump-supporting white supremacist, white nationalist, neo-Nazi groups, and they came to rally around that, to rally around this vision of a white America, a white America that dominates all people of color and especially blacks. And then a group of counter-protesters who say no to that, who want a different vision for the country came. And I think that coalition and the coalition of white nationalists and and neo-Nazis are diverse, that both sides are diverse. I don't want to make it simple and say it's just one side versus the other side. There were a sort of coalition of right-wing groups on one side and a diverse group of of other protesters, counter-protesters who were there. And the beauty of what happened to me is that the event itself was really horrible, traumatic, and this neo-Nazi took a car and rammed into the counter-protesters, injuring a bunch of them, killing one young woman who was there protesting. So that in of itself is horrible, but it also is powerful to see all across the country big protests in cities in support of the counter-protesters in Charlottesville and and against the neo-Nazi white supremacy groups. And so I feel like this moment in the country is really a moment about white people deciding how we're going to deal with our past. And so I've been reflecting on the work that white people have to do in order to be honest about how white identity is built on violence, built on uh, genocide against the Native Americans to even have the land that we're living on, and the appropriation of black bodies, black labor, um, in slavery, and then in Jim Crow, and even up to the present through the criminal justice system, which is really an injustice system for African Americans, given how disproportionately they're arrested and jailed. So it's it's a challenge for white people to tell a truer story, a more honest story, a more complex story about how we got to be the dominant race in the United States. And if we do that, if we're honest about that, if we tell the truth about, say, Thomas Jefferson, who started the University of Virginia in, in Charlottesville, and whose statue the white supremacists gathered around with their torches, if we tell the truth about Thomas Jefferson as a slaveholder, as an architect of the country's exclusion of African Americans from the possibility of citizenship, an architect of the reservation system for Native Americans to remove them from the colonist land, then I think we're we're able to navigate this demographic transition in the country 
with the possibility of being a, a minority participant in our country's life and, and saying, we're going to just take a seat at the table. We're not going to fight to the last to be the ones who are in power and decide who gets to be at the table and who doesn't get at the table. But if we're not willing to do that, if we're just fighting for the last possibility of dominance, which is basically what President Trump has said, then I think we'll just continue to see this kind of assertion of hatred and violence. So it's a, it's a troubling time. And I think in the midst of this troubling time, white people and white Christians have a very particular call. In Christian terms, and I certainly am interested in partnering with people who don't identify as Christian, because in, in fact the, the white people who don't identify as Christian are much more progressive on these issues than, than white Christians. White Christians tend to be more reluctant participants in the direction that I'm describing of a more just and generous country. But especially white Christians, I think, are, are called to really follow Jesus in the sense that he said, those who are first shall be last and those who are last shall be first. I mean, if, if I think about the Jesus story, it's about lifting up those who are at the bottom and pulling down those who are on the top. The, the Magnificat Mary song is explicitly about that pulling down the mighty from their thrones and lifting up those who are lowly. So there's a Christian call, I think, at this moment in our country's history for really being at the vanguard of this demographic transition and stepping down from our whole, our grasping onto power and dominance and violence and repenting and, and trying to find a pathway forward that is seeking, on the one hand, repair for the violence and harm that we've done towards people of color in this country, the Native people, African Americans, other people of color, and number two, seeking relationship, seeking partnership that creates a new sort of architecture of relationship in our country that's much more pluralistic, that's much more diverse. And a, a great example of this, it's, it's certainly not done out of Christian motivation, but a great example of this is the Coca-Cola commercial uh, that was shown in the Super Bowl, which in which America the Beautiful is sung in multiple languages, and images of Americans as diverse as could be in religious terms and in racial ethnic terms are shown. And that's the space of hope that I look towards, is finding visions, motivations, images of the United States that could be, and finding then what specific things we can do to help live into that dream that we have. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.